0: Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmer's Guardian and the CLA, where your host for this week it's me, Farmer's Guardian News Editor Olivia Midgley
1: and me, Farmer's Guardian Editor Ben Briggs. We'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe, whether that's via Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher or Redcast, to ensure that you stay up to date with all the latest episodes
0: on the show this week and you've most likely heard of the industry's target of net zero carbon emissions by 2040 but what does it actually mean in practical terms and how do farmers get there
1: the world is facing the biggest economic shock for a generation alongside accelerating climate change and many people are asking can we use this moment to build a post-covid economy that tackles both but if so what part do farmers and landowners have to play jez fredenberg has been finding out more you're still ploughing on and so are we get farmer's guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24 7 through fginsight.com simply subscribe to farmer's guardian check out our latest deals at fginsight.com subscriptions today
2: The coronavirus pandemic has highlighted the importance of food supply chains and also our impact on the natural world. And many people are now asking, could we use this moment to reboot and rebuild the economy into a green one? The UK Government's Committee on Climate Change certainly thinks so. Last week, it released its annual progress report saying that the UK has a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to accelerate its transition to a low-carbon economy as it seeks to rebuild from the pandemic and the biggest economic shock for a generation. Farmers and landowners have an enormous part to play in all of this and, of course, in meeting the NFU's ambitious net zero target by 2040. And there's no doubt farmers recognise the scale of the task ahead but it's also a complex picture. According to research by Lloyds Bank, more than two-thirds of the 200 farmers polled agreed that agriculture must fundamentally change its operating model if the UK is to meet net zero targets. 59% 59% of respondents, the largest group, cited extreme weather as the biggest threat to their farming business. Despite that, farmers are facing big barriers to tackling climate change, with 60% saying that a lack of money stopped them making their businesses more sustainable, while the same proportion said they were waiting for further guidance on policy and incentives. Nine in 10 farmers also said they didn't know what their farm's carbon footprint was. So it's clear the farming industry needs more information and support to make changes. Many farmers are already playing a part, though, of course. The vast majority of those polled by Lloyds knew about practices they could use to reduce their carbon footprint, and many were employing these practices or planning to use them. For example, 61% were using technology to improve efficiency, 85% were using greener fertiliser products, 74% had moved to more sustainable feed sources, and 54% were rewilding. Speaking last week in reaction to the Committee on Climate Change report, CLA President Mark Bridgman said, The agriculture and land use sector can deliver climate action, which also supports the COVID-19 economic recovery. And there are opportunities for new jobs in forestry and woodland industries, environmental services and food production. But clear and long-term policies and funding for programmes will be needed.
1: CLA members own or manage around half of the rural land in England and Wales and run more than 250 types of businesses. The in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership and during this Covid crisis the CLA has never been more important to landowners of any size. To find out more go to www.cla.org.uk
2: How can we manage our land to meet net zero? And what could this mean in policy terms for farmers if the government acts on the Committee on Climate Change report? Also, what can we learn from how the New Zealand government approaches farming and the environment? To delve into this, I'll be speaking to Alice Ritchie, Land Use Policy Advisor at the CLA. Alice is a Kiwi herself and used to work for the New Zealand government on agriculture, forestry and climate change policy. She's also a qualified barrister and solicitor specialising in environmental law. Alice. I'd like to look at what might be in the climate change committee report for farmers in a moment, but first, I wanted to ask there's been a really big focus on how farming in particular can change to meet net zero, but is that focus justified in the outcomes that can be achieved and Should we be looking more widely in terms of, for example, land use to how we meet that target?
3: I think the thing about reaching net zero is that it looks different for every farmer, every farm type, every region. So it'll be all about trying to maximise the opportunities and the kind of natural capital that each individual farmer can get from his or her land. When it comes to farming, it's a really difficult sector to deal with in terms of climate change. There's some fantastic opportunities to reduce emissions from farming. And we're really looking at it as how farming and land use more generally can help the whole economy get to net zero because what we have that no other sector has is that we're the only sector of the economy that can sequester carbon right now we can plant trees we can restore peatland we can improve soil health and everyone else is relying on these kind of big fancy exciting technologies that um, often don't actually exist yet whereas farming can get started right away we can deploy these solutions um yeah literally straight away so it's Quite exciting to look at it, I think, more in terms of how we use our land um, rather than just looking at farming specifically, but while acknowledging that farming too has a really important part to play um, in the entire net zero process
2: so when we when we're talking about how we use our land beyond i suppose farming, what are we talking about exactly? We know what if we're kind of taking like a proper like holistic approach to this, like what would that look like
3: I think it looks like Working with natural ecosystems and finding ways to use land in a productive way and produce food, but also, yeah, planting trees. Uh, whether that's wide-scale forestry or just agroforestry, a few extra trees on farms, improving soil health using things like regenerative agriculture practices. We can be uh, improving peatland. Uh, that's the uh, peatland strategy has just been release for consultation and that's looking at all the different ways that we can both both produce food on land but also make sure that we are sequestering as much carbon as we possibly can. Uh, But it is really about having that holistic approach and looking at land use as a whole and not just focusing on sort of one aspect of it or the other.
2: You just mentioned regenerative agriculture there, which is obviously gaining traction around the world. Like what what is the opportunity here in the UK? I think there's a huge opportunity here in the UK.
3: Regenerative agriculture is basically a way of farming that is all about trying to improve the health of the soil. But it's all about really working with a natural farm ecosystem and enhancing it, which is really exciting. I think there's heaps of potential in this. And healthy soils basically underpin the entire farm system whether yeah you know, whatever system it is so by making sure you've got healthy soils productivity is increased and pasture recovers quickly you can respond better to flood and drought and things like that plus healthy soils store a lot more carbon so for farmland that's been farmed for centuries like in the UK i think there's lots of potential and the best thing i think about it is that it's not it's not an all or nothing you don't have to you know transform your entire farm to regenerative agriculture like you would if if you were changing to organic, for example. You can just take one hectare, even just one acre, find a little spot that's not too good, not
2: too bad, and um, try some of those practices and see how it goes. So looking abroad for a moment, you've obviously worked for the New Zealand government. What did you learn over there that you think could be applied here in terms of the way that the New Zealand government might be approaching this issue?
3: Yeah, it's a really interesting comparison, actually. I think New Zealand, without tooting my own horn, I think New Zealand's seen as quite a world leader in agriculture, um, but also in conservation work and stuff like that. And so they're doing some really exciting stuff there at the moment. They've actually just announced that they're going to be spending a billion New Zealand dollars creating, I think they're calling them nature jobs. So the idea is that with COVID-19 and the subsequent unemployment, They're pumping a whole lot of money into the conservation sector and into farming and tree planting as a way to boost those sectors, because they're sort of going to need it, combat unemployment, but also achieve a whole lot of environmental outcomes. So they've got jobs focusing on protecting waterways, restoring ecosystems, promoting peatlands, rivers, animal and pest control. Uh, and tree planting. My brother actually has just started a new job planting trees up in Northland because he he was on a big kind of OE and had to move back to New Zealand. And yeah, is obviously going to struggle to find a job. So he thought it's kind of a fantastic opportunity to do something a bit different and get involved in some environmental work. So it's quite cool what they're doing over there. And I'm hoping there'll be similar opportunities here, particularly given The UK has a lot of the same types of targets you know we've got big tree planting targets we are looking to restore a lot of peatland and we are looking at ways to also produce food while we do that so I'm hoping that some of those ideas can also be implemented here.
2: Yeah that's a really interesting approach and it sounds like especially with rebooting the economy to be more of a a kind of green economy with the idea of you know, pouring investment into creating new green jobs. That's definitely something that has come out in the Climate Change Re- Committee report this week. So let's mm. let's sort of dive into that a little bit now. It's, it's a massive report, yeah. <laughs> so we can't cover everything, obviously, and it covers all sorts of things beyond agriculture as well. Yeah. But, I mean, one of the key things um, that I think stood out was the fact that it said it's been like 12 months since net zero became law in the UK, but there hasn't actually really been that much progress towards it. The government hasn't really been doing an awful lot. Where does agriculture sit there in terms of progress?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very fair comment for the Committee on Climate Change to make that there hasn't seemed to be a huge amount of progress. And in part, that's because of Brexit. And that's obviously because of the pandemic. But Equally, it's a really important target. It's not just a government goal, it's a scientific goal. We know we need to get to net zero, um, pandemic or or otherwise. Uh, And they do make the comment in there that agriculture hasn't hasn't really made any major improvements, which, yeah, I think it is probably fair enough, but it doesn't take into account uh, a lot of work that's been happening behind the scenes that doesn't always show up in the national inventories that they base their progress reports on. So... We've had a lot of our CLA member farmers, they've been out there doing uh, carbon footprinting on their farms using different tools and calculators online to figure out what their emissions profile looks like and finding ways to reduce them. We've been doing webinars and seminars and things uh, talking about how farmers can reduce their emissions, which have been really well attended and really give you that feeling that everyone is out there trying to figure out at least what they're doing at the moment and how they can make improvements in the future. Um, But we also have this unique opportunity with the Agriculture Bill and the Environment Bill to transform the sector and meet climate change targets at the same time. So I think, yeah, the last 12 months might not have been as, we might not have made as much progress as we could have or as we hope to. But I think the next 12 months will sort of really, everything will really change and we'll see a complete transformation of the sector
2: obviously the policy framework for all of this has a massive impact on what is actually going to be achievable longer term now the committee said that the ag bill isn't really fit for purpose if we're talking about working towards net zero so what is it said that actually needs to change to make make a difference there
3: so the committee on climate change is essentially saying that both the environment bill and the agriculture bill aren't aren't really strong enough yet to meet the climate change targets. So they need to start with a really strong regulatory baseline, and then incentives for those who are able to go above and beyond it. But really what they need is a some kind of mechanism behind it, that will fund tree planting and uh, peatland restoration, and also improve productivity and the resilience of food supply. So I think what they're really saying is that it's not, although the sort of sentiment is there and it's definitely heading in the right direction, it's not clear that that delivery mechanism is going to be strong enough yet to actually meet those climate change goals. But I think that the Environment Bill and the Agriculture Bill are still slightly in a phase of change and they are definitely heading in the right direction and that those alongside the tree strategy that's just been published and the peatland strategy that will be published soon... All of those combined will definitely be strong enough alongside, you know, the willingness of farmers and landowners to yeah, change the way that they use their land a wee bit. I think that all of those combined will definitely give us an opportunity to meet our climate
2: change targets. So the, the report also, I mean, we're sort of looking more widely at the report and it, sort of, you know, it really sort of draws on the parallels with dealing with the pandemic and using that as a kind of uh, stepping stone towards net zero and one of the things that it's talking about is things like helping people work from home more or nearer to home and you know that kind of thing i'm just wondering whether there are other things in the report that could be opportunities for farmers because when i read that i sort of thought oh okay well i i know some farmers who for example set up offices on their farms you know as business units but what about co-working spaces and things like that where people could work more from home so I'm just wondering, what could be the opportunities of a green recovery for farmers if we're kind of thinking really sort of widely about the whole sort of economy? I think the renewable energy aspect of it will be huge. I mean, you need,
3: you do need land to kind of deliver a lot of these objectives and finding ways that we can keep producing food, but also producing energy and things like that. There'll be huge opportunities in that space but also there's been and I don't know if this is just me but I feel like there's been a real push towards um, people wanting to reconnect with nature and I mean I know after three months of lockdown in London I'm absolutely desperate to get back out on farms but (laughs) there's go, I think there'll be real opportunities in domestic tourism and being able to, for people to get back out into nature and see where their food comes from, but also just enjoy what, you know, an absolutely beautiful country this is. Like, I feel so lucky to be living here and really excited that I potentially have a, you know, late summer, spring, hopefully, travelling opportunities within the country and a chance to explore um, the UK more than, you know, flying to Ibiza or whatever, you know. I think it's such a, there's some really great tourism opportunities in this. Um, that will come out as
2: a result of the pandemic. I just want to go back to New Zealand for a second because you have obviously have experience of working in policy in both the UK and New Zealand. What are the differences with the way the two governments approach climate change?
3: When it comes to agriculture, it's a wee bit different. Partially that's because um, agriculture makes up a significantly bigger portion of the economy in New Zealand, but also a really large proportion of emissions. So about 50% of New Zealand's total greenhouse gas emissions come from agriculture. There's huge calls from the public to do something about it. And the latest proposal from the government is that they are going to put agriculture into the existing emissions trading scheme. So farmers and producers will have to uh, essentially pay for and trade their methane and nitrous oxide emissions. So this, I mean, it'll really change the industry, I think. It'll be really interesting to see how they go. They've the Interestingly, the government has given the agriculture sector um, a few years to come up with an alternative. So they've basically said, this is what we want to do. We want to put you in the emissions trading scheme. But if you've got a better idea, you've got, I think, five years or something to figure it out and let us know. So they've c- kind of put the onus or the responsibility back on the industry to find another way to do it so it'll be interesting I'm sort of closely keeping tabs on it all and either way it'll really change the landscape over there it'll change the way we um, farm the way we view farming over there and I do think that it could be something that the rest of the world takes notice of and see if it's something that could be or should be implemented here.
2: If farmers are going to be part of a a carbon trading scheme like that does that mean that they would be able to effectively pass that extra cost back to the consumer, do you think?
3: Yeah, well, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure where they've got to with that. I know that there was a lot of talk about who should pay for these emissions. Should it be the farmer? Should it be someone further down the supply chain? Should it be the, you know, fertilizer makers? There, there, there was sort of a lot of talk about that and they landed on it being the farmer or the or the grower, but I do think New Zealand doesn't have agricultural subsidies. So the consumer does, um, in theory, pay for the full price of their food. So it'll be interesting to see how this changes food prices, because, you know, I can imagine that that wouldn't be politically palatable. So I wonder if they're going to try and find a way that, yeah, I'm to, honestly, I don't know how they'll quite work that out, who will end up paying for it, it might be that the, that the consumer pays for the more carbon-intensive foods. So, you know, you'd be looking at paying more for your meat and your dairy and things like that. And I
2: suppose that would be another way that they would try and incentivise a change in diets. I guess something like a labelling scheme, like a traffic light labelling scheme, would then be able to help consumers make more informed, sustainable choices, which here in the UK would be helpful in terms of, uh, you know, the imported produce.
3: Yeah, some kind of... Um, traffic light system or a carbon tax at the border there's there's all sorts of different options that they're talking about but as far as i'm aware that hasn't been implemented yet so yeah again it'll be a sort of watch this space scenario
0: thanks to Jez and alice for that it's obvious that how we manage our land is going to be critical going forwards. Now, COVID-19 has forced many events to go digital this year and our British Farming Awards is no exception. Down the line with me now is Danusha Shave, who's our events producer, and she's working with the team to make sure the awards can still celebrate the best in British farming. Dinusha, how will this year's event work?
4: So the British Farming Awards for 2020 is absolutely still going ahead, albeit in a brand new virtual format but it will continue celebrating the fantastic individuals who make the farming industry and its community so unique. It's about bringing together more people in what has been such challenging times, but we know that there is a much valued and new appreciation for British farmers and local food producers as British consumers kind of you've taken the time to question where their food comes from. So really, there's never been such an important time for British farmers and growers to step forward and be really proud about the farm
0: businesses that we know are successfully running up and down the country. Great. And, and I know that the deadline's been extended, hasn't it, for entries? How can people get involved and how can people enter the awards? It's really simple to enter the British Farming
4: Awards. If you visit the website, britishfarmingawards.co.uk, you'll see the chance to enter now. There are 15 categories up for grabs, looking at farming's core sectors. So we've got a nod to dairy, arable, beef, machinery. We also have a nod to contractors and diversification businesses. And we're very much championing the role of British farmers, British family farms and the role of agricultural students and new entrants. You just simply download the application form, have a go at the questions and then press enter and it goes through from there.
1: Thanks to Living Danusha. And remember, you still have until this Friday, July 3rd to send in your entries. So for everything you need to know, just visit BritishFarmAwards.co.uk. We look forward to seeing you, albeit virtually, on October twenty first. And because it's a virtual event, we don't have to see the farming industry on the dance floor at half past midnight. Well, that's it for this week, and thank you for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to keep notified of all the new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. We'll be back as ever next Tuesday. But from us at Farmers Guardian and the team at the CLA, thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.